Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I pity the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five! Welcome to another edition of Fizz 5. It is a Friday afternoon with Francesco Simone. I'm Ethan Frank. First time we've been together on Fizz 5. Francesco, how are you doing on this snowy day here in Syracuse? Ethan, I couldn't be better. I get to see your smiling face on a Friday afternoon. There really is no better reward to the end of a week. Oh, well, do, well, don't flatter me. I mean, there may not be better things than my smile, but one of them might be how Syracuse played on Wednesday night against Virginia Tech. So let's get right into it with topic number one. Number one. The Orange take down the Hokies 82 to 72 on Wednesday night in the Dome. It was really an all around performance. The first quadrant two win of the season for the Orange. Francesco, watching the game, what were your overall takeaways? Uh. This is a struggling Virginia Tech team, right, Ethan? They had come in losing four in a row, a top 25 team in the country about a month ago, missing Hunter Couture, who's one of the best shooters in the entire country. It's a game that, Ethan, if you want to go anywhere this season as a Syracuse team, I think you had to take this one. You're already staring at a, at a gun barrel of just brutal ACC opponents coming up. So you've got a, a Tech team who's talented but weak in terms of just – their performances as of late, who they're missing. It was a game Syracuse had to have. It was. It just felt like a game that Syracuse wins. This is a team, Virginia Tech, that Syracuse beats at home. I think the stat I heard was eight out of nine times Syracuse has hosted Virginia Tech since joining the ACC back in 2013. The Orange have won. So that's pretty good and a pretty good barometer. I mean, it's a quadrant two win. Virginia Tech's a team in the top 60 of the net rankings. Uh, They're a top 50 team on Bart Torvik and on Ken Palm. So the analytics really like this team but just really struggled. Jim Beheim said it was the best offensive performance of the season that he saw from, from Syracuse. Joe Girard was terrific. Once again, had 24 points. Judah was pretty solid. Jesse working through some things had six assists. I think that may be the most surprising statistic, but I'm, I mean, the true story coming out of the game as always is what Jim Beheim does at the forward position. Benny Williams comes back after missing the Virginia game. And he does not play very much. Malik Brown has a double-double off the bench, his first career double-double. What do you make of the Malik and Benny debate? Yeah, see, Ethan, I'm glad you brought this up because Jim said after the game that Benny's okay, right? He had a good day of practice. Whatever was bothering him last weekend against Virginia, that's gone now. He's fine. How true that is, I don't think anybody really knows because if he was ill, he might still be a little bit weak. So that's something to keep in the back of your mind before you completely throw Benny out the window. But You and I have been going back and forth on this kind of for the entire season now. Malik Brown is just really good at what he does. He's a good defender. He's a good rebounder. He knows where he's supposed to be. He knows he's not a shooter. He's not going to knock down 15-foot jumpers. He's not going to take any threes. He's got to be within eight feet of the basket, grab rebounds, and score when he gets the opportunity. On the other end of the court, just defend. Play good defense outside in the zone. When you get inside, you got to block some shots. He can do that. You got to get some steals. He can do that. He's just a really, really, really solid contributor. He's not going to wow you with anything he does, but he's just steady as she goes. Here's the comparison I have for you. I want to throw this at you. It's something I've been thinking about and pondering for a few days. As someone who's watched Syracuse basketball for a long time, he reminds me a little bit of Tyler Roberson. What do you think about that? 
Okay. I think just someone who, you know, clearly there's some more physical maturing to do in terms of adding weight to bang bodies. But I mean, he's 6'9", over, uh, I think near 215 as a freshman. That's a pretty good size for a freshman. Very long and athletic. And I think the best thing about him is he finishes around the basket. He's very good with both hands in the lane left and right, as well as dunking the basketball home and finishing with authority. So I think that's the best thing about Malik Brown. And we could see him continue to play 20, 25, 30 minutes a game if Benny doesn't have it. If Chris Bell doesn't have it, I don't know why you don't put Malik Brown in the game. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely, right? That's not really how Jim Beheim likes to run his rotations. He's not, uh, oh, this guy's the hot hand. We're going to play him, you know, 30 minutes a game all of a sudden. He's usually a guy who wants to have seven or eight guys he trusts, play them, a, a proportional amount of minutes every single night and, and on you go. So it is a little bit of a, of a difference, even from the beginning of this season. He said, listen, Benny didn't play on Wednesday against Virginia Tech. He only played eight minutes because he wasn't playing well, right? It wasn't because for any other reason other than that. So maybe a little bit of a change in the way Bayheim likes to think. And I think it's a good thing because when Malik Brown is playing as effectively as he is, you talk about how much rebounding problems Syracuse has had so far this year, especially at forward. This is a guy who's got vacuums for hands. He grabs rebounds for a living. Well, he will one day grab rebounds for a living. Now he's doing it, quote unquote, at, at an amateur level, but he's he's just good at it. He's really, really solid. He knows what he's good at, and he does. He doesn't try to be somebody he's not, which is something that Jim Beheim talks about all the time. Betty Williams likes to shoot jump shots, even though he's not good at shooting jump shots, right? He should be in the paint grabbing rebounds, finishing around the rim the way Brown does. He just doesn't. So know your role. You do it well, you get a play. It's that simply. I think that's a great way to end things, unless you have any more to add about the Virginia Tech game, Francesco. Otherwise, let's move on to topic number two, unless you have something else. Go for it, Ethan. Go for it. Uh, All right. Numero dos. Number two. All right, Elijah Moore, 2024 shooting guard, put Syracuse in his top five. The Orange recently missed out on their first big recruit in the class of 2024, despite Adam Weitzman's best efforts to offer him boatloads of money. That was Elliot Cadeau. And now Syracuse gets in the mix for Elijah Moore, who's someone they've been pursuing for many months now. He officially visited the Orange in October. Offer came back late last year, and it's Alabama, Arkansas, Miami, and Oklahoma State. He attended the Orange Elite Camp back in August, and according to some people, he might make a decision by the end of this month. I don't know how much you know about Elijah Moore, Francesco, but what would this do for Syracuse's recruiting as a whole? I'll tell you this about Elijah Moore, Ethan. The the day he visited was media day for the men's basketball team. So a bunch of us in the the student media world around Syracuse were in there. We saw him talking to Bayheim. We saw him talking to GMAC, to Red Autry. It was really GMAC who was taking him around, which shouldn't be any kind of surprise. It's GMAC who handles the guard recruiting. I mean, it's it's, so much has been made about the 2023 class and the fact that there's nobody in it, right? And Bayheim will argue, well, we had six guys last year, so that means we're automatically going to have a smaller class, which is a fair point that Jim Bayheim makes. And I've heard a lot of talk about they're going to really go after the transfer portal in this go-round. But then the year after, you have to add young guys at some point, right? If you have a year of, let's face it, it's going to be either nothing or very close to nothing, you got to build it back up again. You got to rebuild that foundation of young players. Elijah Moore. He's a consensus top 100, top 120 player, 6'3", 170, kind of a Judah Mintz type of build. You mentioned the fact that he's a shooting guard. That's what he is. He's, he's a scoring type of two guard who's 
not going to wow you physically, but he can shoot a little bit. He can put the ball on the floor a little bit. He's a he's a scoring type, slashing type guard. Who listen, anytime you can get a top one hundred player in the door, you never say no to it. So why not, right? Absolutely. And you look at what Syracuse's roster is right now. I think guard is the need in the future. You're going to have Joe is a senior. He could potentially be gone. Saimir is a senior. He could potentially be gone. Judah could be one and done and go to the NBA or any other professional ranks. And then you're left with what? Quadir Copeland has not played any guard this year. Justin Taylor could play the two. I mean, I, I've thrown out the idea. Maybe you play Chris Bell at the two because he can't rebound at a forward position. He's basically just a six, seven guard. So, I mean, the options are limited for guards moving forward. So I think this is the right position to be recruiting. But you look at Syracuse's last small cycle, and that was Benny Williams in 2021. What happened? Syracuse went in the transfer portal, picked up three players, Cole Swider, Jimmy Beheim, Symer Torrance. So it's a give and take. The one other thing, reading quotes from Moore, is that he talked a lot about Jim Beheim recruiting him in those quotes. Is this a telltale sign that Jim Beheim? is going to keep coaching multiple years down the line. I don't know how many people are going to be happy about that, considering the way that uh, last year went and the way this year is going. I think it's worth to the point where if you're predicting when Jim Beheim's going to retire, you're asking to be wrong is all you're doing. I mean, what's the point? People have been doing this for a decade now and he's still, th- and he's still there. Jim Beheim, I think is going to coach until he just says, I don't want to coach anymore or until he physically cannot coach anymore. When's that point going to come? Ethan, I have no idea. You have no idea. And if anybody says they do, they're lying to you because nobody knows. I don't even think Beheim himself knows when he's going to stop coaching. Would it shock me if he's this team's coach in October of 2024? Absolutely not. I mean, would it surprise you? Based off results, yes, but based off who Jim Beheim is, no. But is that fair? Results, though. He's not going to get fired. No, he's going to go out on his own terms. I mean, right. I'm of the belief that I think it would be fitting for him to go out when, you know, Jerry McNamara and Hakeem Warwick's numbers get retired uh, on the last game of the season this year. I think that would be pretty fitting if he announced that was his final home game. But that like, is that reasonable? I don't know. I mean, if Jerry McNamara is taking the lead on this recruiting then maybe that is another sign, but it's hard to read at this point. But what we do know is Elijah Moore is at the forefront of Syracuse's recruiting efforts right now. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned fitting, though. How fitting would it have been to retire once Jimmy and Buddy left, right? So the whole fittingness, stop guessing, right? Just stop and let it happen, because the more you guess, the more you're going to be wrong. I mean, eventually you're going to be right, because he will leave at some point, either on his own volition or, you know, something else happens internally or whatever that forces them out, but stop guessing. You're not going to be right. Just stop. That's, that's, that's my advice to Syracuse fans. All right. That's it. Elijah Moore talk has turned into Jim Beheim retirement talk. I think that means it's time to move on to topic. Number three, number three. So football or so basketball, I, I stepped on it. Basketball to football, uh, we're talking about coaches leaving earlier. Well, this time it is a coach who has actually left, and that is Nick Monroe, the third big-name assistant uh, from Syracuse to leave this offseason, arguably the Orange's best recruiter, bringing in the likes of all the all sorts of the secondary talent that you've seen for Syracuse over the past few years, Andre Sisco, Troll Williams, Afatu Melifanu, Garrett Williams, among them. And he's gone. He's off to back to his home state of Minnesota. Ari Unensworth had a really good article about it. Why did Nick Monroe leave? You know, his home state, 
probably got a pay raise. I mean, would you rather coach in the Big Ten or the ACC? I think I'd rather coach in the Big Ten, Francesco. Yeah, I mean, you'd rather coach in the Big Ten, right? And it's coaches leave all the time for various reasons, for various other positions, and for usually a pretty nice pay raise, right? Would I imagine Minnesota's paying Nick Monroe more than Syracuse did? Yeah, I, I think they are, right? And that's a it's an issue that SU had with Tony White as well, right? You knew he was going to be a target for a lot of big-name programs, a lot of big-name programs who have a lot of big coffers as well. Nebraska came calling, Syracuse couldn't match the price, and off he goes. Higher level of competition, probably a higher salary as well. Same thing happens here with Nick Monroe. It's it's unfortunate that a school, well, that Syracuse has become a school that's almost like a, a G League of sorts for the Big Ten, for the SEC, both from a player standpoint and a coaching standpoint. But, Ethan, I, it's it's kind of just the way it is. It's, it's a reality you almost have to accept right now. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it because – I mean, you see Syracuse's transfers who left, and that would be Deuce Chestnut, who's going to LSU. And and the other big names who are, are out the door are going to places where you're like, yeah, that's probably a better program than, than Syracuse is. So that's just the reality of college football, just like you said. I, I think that's a good way of putting it. Did you see Marlo Wax's tweet that he then deleted after uh, after this news came out? It was something along the lines of, oh, okay, this is what we're doing now. Something like that, right? Yeah, it, it was – it seemed like he was surprised and yeah. not thrilled about Nick Monroe leaving, and that makes a lot of sense. He was, I believe, either the secondary coach or the passing game coordinator on defense. I'm not sure of his exact title. I, I think but, it might have been both, actually. But he had a big role in the defense. I'll say that. And he was very influential with this team, bringing players in, developing them, really helped the Oranges base down in, in Florida, where there's a place Dino Babers likes to recruit a lot. Nick Monroe is someone that he takes on the road with him a lot. So this is a big loss for Syracuse, both on the coaching front and on the recruiting front. And, you know, it's not like they've been recruiting through the moon. So th this is going to hurt in more ways than one, which is what I'm really concerned about. Yeah, Ethan, they call him the swag daddy. That's what that's how highly the players thought of Nick Monroe to give him that kind of nickname. But I think it begs this question. So obviously Tony White leaves. You want to keep that 335 system. You go out to New Mexico and you bring Rocky Long, who's the the godfather of the 335 system. So you don't have to make any kind of changes there. But some people ask, and I, I would say fairly so, would it have been better to take the same tact you did on offense? And I leaves, just plug Jason Beck into that hole. Tony White leaves, you could have gone with Nick Monroe. Now, it meant that Dino Babers didn't think Nick Monroe was ready. He went out and hired a 72-year-old Rocky Long instead. But it does beg the question. It's a question that we can't possibly answer right now. But five years from now, we will have an answer to it of, was it the right decision to go out and get Long, or should they have just hired Monroe? That Yeah, that that is the unanswerable question right now. And it's clear that what I think Babers wanted to do was bring in someone who could coach up Nick Monroe to be able to take over this defense in a couple of years time. And I don't think he took into account how sought after he would be considering, you know, his level of success developing and recruiting players. So I think that is the misstep. He was correct with his promotion of Jason Beck and Jason Beck is older than Nick Monroe. He's a more experienced coach than Nick Monroe. And we saw the sec success Jason Beck had this year. I think that will continue. 
it, it tells us, just like you said, that Tino Babers did not think Nick Monroe was ready. So what what is the answer to that? We don't know. We'll find out soon enough. But that is what everyone should be thinking. I think that's a really good way of putting it. Yeah, I mean, uh, usually, right, you'd, you'd want to go with the younger guy, all things being equal. You want to have the the potential of something great rather than knowing you have something good for the next couple of years. Because Rocky Long, again, is 72 years old. As respected as he is, as good of a history as he has in this game, there's only so much of it left in him, right? So, not, yeah, not to mention he's the architect of a 3-3-5 defense that just let up 65 points in the national championship game. That's, you know, that's a fair point. That's 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 a good point that you bring up there. But it's, I I would agree with not going away from the 3-3-5, though I'd, pu- I'd put that out there because you spent how many hours of growing pains in the 2020 season? COVID obviously affected it as well, but you gave up a season to implement this defense. Now it's actually in a pretty good spot. I get not wanting to completely go away with it and have to learn a whole new system and yada, yada, yada. It's so many, it's so many different obstacles that you would then have to face. But the question does remain, and it's a legitimate question, again, one that we cannot answer right now. Would Nick Monroe have been good enough in the interim and eventually developed into something great rather than getting Rocky Long, who you know is going to be good now, but the shelf life isn't as long? It's... It's a philosophical question and one that we will have an answer to. And if it's a negative one, Dino Babers will pay for it. I think that's a perfect way to end our Nick Monroe talk. Dino Babers will pay for it eventually if it, it does not go in his favor. And I'll say this is probably the last batch of coordinators that Dino Babers gets to hire before the scapegoat goes from his assistant coaches to himself. We will uh, we'll see what happens there. But let's move on to topic number four. Number four. Damian Alford, a fan favorite. He uh, he's shown some development, some signs over two years, and it, it, he just didn't really live up to everything that happened this season. Only had a few catches, had a couple games, had a big performance at UConn, had uh, a, a big play against Boston College, but just wasn't everything I think people thought after seeing what he did his freshman year back in 2021 he goes into the portal and then backs out one day later he's back at Syracuse what are you expecting from Damian Alford next year Francesco it's it's funny it's the second guy who's done this now Jeremiah Wilson and Damian Alford in the portal for uh, in a time span you can count in hours rather than days and comes right on back to SU but Alford people thought People thought he was going to be what Aronde Gadsden ended up as this season for Syracuse, that number one weapon, a guy who's big, can use his physicality in the middle of the field, can split out wide at times, although Gadsden didn't do that as much. But it was supposed to be Alford who was the number one target, and Gadsden comes out of nowhere and becomes an all-ACC type of player. So where's he going to fit? He's, if you want to count Gadsden as a tight end, Alford's got to be the number one receiver. But, I mean, who else is there? Demarcus Adams? No. I, I don't see how. Gadsden is a wide receiver. I mean, that's I, ridiculous I, that he's classified as a tight you. end. I agree with you, but let's play the dance, all right? Let's, let's pretend he's a tight end. Okay. If we if we have to pick an outside X-type receiver, it's Damian Alford. He's got the size. He's not as fast as people think he is. He's not going to burn you down the field, but he's a big body receiver. Fantastic for, th- for throwing jump balls, too. Really good for throwing back shoulders, dude. Garrett Schrader really took advantage of that early in the season, not so much towards the end, but he's a 
physically a really interesting guy in terms of he's just so big, he's so long. He's six feet, six inches tall. He is a massive human yeah, being. He, the way I – he I'm a Chargers fan. He's like Mike Williams if Mike, Mike Williams, Williams was, like, yeah. worse at everything. So, like, that's I mean, fair. that sounds a little harsh, but, like, he's uh, – developmentally, he's 20, 21 years old. Like, he's a young guy. Um, but that is his skill set, as you said. It's going up for jump balls. He had that incredible catch against Clemson. That was a, a pretty, pretty wild play. But it's, it's the tools are there. They just all have to be put together the right way. And he feels like you're putting together a Lego. You just have to follow the instructions, and those instructions are his development. And then once all the pieces are connected, it looks all great. And I think that's what we want to see from Damian Alford as an upperclassman. When you look at the rest of the receiver room and you talk about Gadsden and you talk about Alford, then you're looking for another person to step up. I don't think Devon Cooper is coming back for his 77th year of college football. You need that third receiver. I, I mean, is it Trevor Pena? He's kind of just like a, a, an up back who – swings out of the backfield sometimes he he's not really a receiver he's kind of just a utility player umari hatcher had a, l- a couple of signs at the end of the year i'm a little concerned with the receiver room and, and gladly alford's back otherwise i would have been really concerned no i mean absolutely how how often how much time did we spend this season talking about yeah ronde gadsden's fantastic but you can't have one pass catching threat whether you want to call him a tight end or receiver doesn't matter it's a it's a pass catcher He's all they had. He's really the, you know, Courtney Jackson did nothing at all this season. Queeley didn't play, literally didn't play this season. Now he's, I think it was Georgia Southern or South Alabama, something along those lines. Yeah, something along those lines. Something along those lines. It's, no, Ethan, it's, it's concerning because the explosiveness in that receiver room is not there. I agree with you. I like you, Mari Hatcher. I think he's got good speed, the potential to be that, that guy that takes the top off a of defense, which, Syracuse did not have this year any stretch. There's gonna be there's gonna be a lots of questions to answer because you know Gadsden's good, you know Alford's okay. You hope he takes that next step. After that, I listen. Your guess is as good as mine. I have no idea. Yeah, I have no idea. It's a guessing game right now, and we'll see what happens in the spring when maybe a depth chart's released during the uh, the spring game. What uh, what happens there? Any other comments on receivers, Francesco? Before we move on to our final topic of the day. I will say this about Alford, though. Give him a little bit of patience just from the sense that he's from Canada and it's a little bit more difficult for guys from up there to, to transition to the to the NCAA game. Obviously, the field sizes are different. The type of coaching is different. So give him a little bit more time than you would a regular type of recruit. I'll say that. That's a good, that's a good point. Take it with a grain of salt. All right, let's move on to our final topic. That's number five. Number five. All right, we're going to look ahead here a little bit. Syracuse basketball has two games in three days, Saturday at home against Notre Dame, Monday on the road in Coral Gables, taking on the U. This is a Notre Dame team Syracuse has already beat this year. Some say, like myself, they were lucky to win that game. Uh, others say, you know, it was a good performance. Uh, I don't know what you think, Francesca, but I think Syracuse got lucky from a very cold Notre Dame second half to be able to to, to pull a rabbit out of a hat. And Miami is one of the top Teams in the conference has been at the top of the standings all year. This is a team that's ranked. Uh, this is a very, very good basketball team. So it'll be a tough, tough stretch, especially playing two games in three days. 
I mean, Notre Dame is a game you should win. It's one of the few games Syracuse is going to be favored in down the stretch of this season. Maybe the Virginia Tech win changes that, considering the Hokies were three-point road favorites and the Orange won by 10. But this is a Notre Dame game that you should win. And I think the good thing about it is that Jesse Edwards had his best game of the season against Notre Dame last time. 22-16, and he's been struggling over the past few games or so. That's one thing I'm looking at. Obviously, the forward rotations, we talked about it a little bit earlier. How did those shake out? And can Joe stay hot? I I think that's something that, like, people are taking for granted how well Joe is shooting the basketball right now because we just kind of erased from our minds how bad he was at the end of November and just how much of a zero he was. So can Joe continue this hot streak? How sustainable is his shooting and what happens to this offense when it gets cold again? Sorry, that was a lot to throw at you, but that's just what I'm thinking. No, let's start with Joe Girard because he's, to me, he's been the most fascinating topic about this season. So he moves over to shooting guard. He's now the secondary ball handler. He doesn't have to be a point guard anymore. He's got Judah playing right next to him and it's freed up his game. So, so much. He can finally play off the ball where he played in high school where he's been meant to play his entire time at Syracuse. The Orange just have not had a point guard to fill in for him, and he has had nowhere to go because Buddy Bayham's been playing next to him the entire time. So he's finally playing in his rightful position, and Jim Bayheim will tell you this, and he's not wrong. If you look at the point guards in the ACC last year, you ranked them 1-15. to 15. Was Joe in the top half, Ethan? I would say he was. What do you think? I, I, to be quite honest, I don't remember half the point guards that were in the ACC last season, but if thinking about them off the top of my head, you have uh, Jeremy Roach at Duke, you got uh, Kihei Clark at uh, Virginia, you got Caleb Love at North Carolina. I mean, those are the the memorable ones. I, I mean... I guess the point is there weren't very, very memorable point guards in the ACC, so maybe Joe was in the top half. Right, so he's in the top half at a position he's not supposed to play. Now he moves over to the position he is supposed to be at, and he scored 15 points or more in 10 straight games. Syracuse is 8-2 and in that stretch. I mean, he has been the reason why this team's not a dumpster fire. He's been the only guy who's been shooting consistently. Justin Taylor and Chris Bell can't shoot. They just never do it. It's been Joe as the only perimeter threat, and, you know, as much as people will say, oh, you don't need to shoot threes as much as, you know, maybe Syracuse has over the last couple of years, you need somebody out there. It's not 1972 anymore where, you know, just go to the basket every single time. You do need that outside threat. And Joe's been the only guy who's consistently shown up from that perspective. Besides those three games that you mentioned, what was it? Uh, St. John's, Bryant, and Illinois, where he scored yeah. nine total points. Since then, he's been fantastic. Yeah, he he really has. I, and I'll push back on that. Judah is also providing you consistent offense, averaging 13, 14, 15 points a game. Uh, from I'll a push, shooting perspective. Right, okay, from yes. From a shoot, But he's still getting his points is yes. the point. Yes. Um, they just need more from Jesse. It's just Syracuse's formula to win is double figures from the triple J's Joe Judah, Jesse, and then have one of bell Taylor, uh, Benny and, and, and maybe Malik Brown at this point, get to double figures. And then you're in that 70 point range because Joe and Judah are giving you in the high teens. Jesse's contributing somewhere in the, you know, the, the, 10 to 12, maybe on a good day in the 15 to 16 range. And then if one of those guys can get to double figures, that just adds another dimension to your offense. So it alleviates the burden from Joe as well, not having to score 20 points a night. No, I mean, 100%. And and you mentioned it, Joe, Judah, and Jesse are the big three on this team. And they have to 
they have to contribute for them to have success. But at the same time, you're going to have nights where one of them isn't playing well, whether it's one of Gerard's off nights, which he hasn't had many of, but at some point it's going to happen. Judah is still a freshman as much as he doesn't play it like one. And Jesse's been struggling over the last, I would say, two or three weeks. So you need those three to play well. Then you need somebody else. If one of those three doesn't play well, you need two other people. So whether it's Benny Williams, whether it's Malik Brown, Taylor, Copeland even, Bell obviously, somebody's got to show up at least one other person, sometimes two other people. And the the scary part about it, Ethan, is you don't really know who it's coming from on a night-to-night basis, and you don't really know if it's coming on a night-to-night basis either. <laughs> Syracuse basketball is a giant mystery. What uh, what are your predictions for the two games? I think you may, you have to beat Notre Dame, right? I If they go down to Miami – on a day's rest and beat them, I'd be really surprised. That'd be really, really impressive to me. It's a top 20 team. It's a really, really upper echelon ACC squad that Miami's got. I I think you beat Notre Dame and you lose to Miami. It's the chalk answer, but I think that's what happens. The problem is, is that you have this surprise win over Virginia Tech and then Notre Dame is just, everything is calling for a letdown. This is a Notre Dame team on a skid. They're not playing good basketball right now. It's calling for a letdown. And if that happens, it would be really bad because then there's even more pressure to go win at Miami, which is a very tall task. So I am worried about Notre Dame because they have so much shooting. It can beat the zone at JJ Starling's homecoming. Uh, we'll see what happens there. I think Syracuse will pull it out, but uh, I am definitely concerned and I, I, I see little chance they win at Miami. So I'm in agreement with you there. Yeah, I think it's absolutely fair. You mentioned Notre Dame shooting. It's going to be interesting to see if – so for over, if you remember, Ethan, over the first four or five minutes of that first Notre Dame game, I mean, they were just shooting the lights out of the gym. Syracuse had no answer for them. The zone was too, too – I mean, it was too constrained. They weren't getting out to the shooters in time. What Jim Beheim did was he pinched Gerard and Judah together, didn't let the ball get in the middle – and then made sure that Jesse didn't have to go to the corners. The forwards played a little bit more flared out and said, you know, Notre Dame is going to try to beat us inside. You don't have a true center. Go for it. Give it a shot. I trust Jesse to block your shot and try to take away the three-point ball, and they did. So will they continue to do that tomorrow? We'll find out. You talked a little bit ago about, you know, Notre Dame also went cold in that second half. That's part of it. If they have a ridiculously hot shooting day, then you know you're not you're not in for a good result. So there is that element of variability that you have to take into account. That that's something to watch for. How Syracuse's zone uh, defends against Notre Dame. All right, Francesco. Anything left to say before we sign off on this edition of Fizz Five? Our first time together. I think it went well. What do you say? I I had a great time. I don't know. Hey. And I mean, I love Liam. Uh, LG is a great Fizz Five partner, but I mean, maybe guy. maybe there'll be a trade moving in the future, and and we wow. stay on this schedule. We'll have to see. Uh, I don't know how Ian and LG did last week, but uh, well, we'll see. I, I think you know, as long as you get your camera fixed, and I can see you next time, then uh, yeah. then that would take it to the next level. We're gonna we're gonna work on that. I'm gonna hit the Google right now. All right. Uh, You go do that. Uh, That's Francesco Simone. I'm Ethan Frank signing off on this edition of Fizz 5. Thanks for listening. You can check all our content out at theorangefizz.com. Some of the topics we talked about, I wrote an article on Elijah Moore this morning that uh, you can check out. That was back on topic number two of Fizz 5. All right, that's all we got. Enjoy the games this weekend and go orange.
And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.